You are listening to The Christian Commute, a commute-length podcast about Christian apologetics, theology, and other matters of Christian interest. Here is your host, Seth Dunn. It is Friday, August 18th, and I almost de- uh, deleted the show I did this morning. I was like, what is this on here? It's yesterday's show. I'm going to delete it. I said, no, why is it so short? And then I didn't. Doesn't mean I'll upload the right one, but it's the Christian commute and you're riding home with me on a legitimate full show. So I've said my piece about Willie McLaren and the wicked leaders of the S- uh, SBC. You know what? I didn't even mention Ed the Plagiarist Litton. Who was the Southern Baptist Convention president before Bart Barber, who seems to make excuses for all these people. Anyway, I'm getting on with the planned show topic for today, which is Grave to Cradle. And we're going to talk about seniors. Seniors, seniors. Senior citizens, that is. I'll get started once I get onto the freeway. I'm pulling out of my office, and traffic is unusually heavy. But I guess I shouldn't be surprised. It's 5 o'clock. I never really leave right on the dot at 5. But it's my son's birthday today. He's 9, and I'm going to take him out for a birthday dinner. I might go to the Cartersville High School football game. I think that's what he wants to do. We'll see. Anyway, that's what I'm doing. Uh, Now I'm urged on. It's time to get rolling. I only got to play two two games of ping pong today. There's a pickleball court in my office now. So if you've ever played pickleball, my parents play it all the time. Uh, they're obsessed with it. They have a million pickleball paddles. Pickleball is basically ping pong on top of the table, if I had to describe what it was. That's what pickleball is, ping pong on top of the table. And they have installed a pickleball court in my office. And you think, well, why would they do that? Because we make pickleball courts where I work. How fun is that? Okay. Cradle to grave. Seniors, I have a question in the inbox that I forgot to write down. But somebody sent it in. Where's this guy from? This guy, this guy is from Texas, Fort Worth, Texas. Oh, he went to Southwestern. Uh, so, from Jake from Fort Worth, Texas. All right, he's got a question about the Bible literature. We'll get to that. After we do the Bible chapter review, we continue today in Matthew chapter 24, verses 2 through 5. Matthew chapter 24, verses 2 through 5. Jesus has just told his disciples that Not one stone will be left upon another at the temple complex. And as he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. So he had been speaking publicly before, teaching publicly, refuting the Pharisees publicly, pronouncing woes upon the Pharisees publicly. But he withdrew with his uh, his disciples, and now he's having a private conversation with them. As he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us when will these things happen, and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, See that no one misleads you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, 
and they will mislead many people. Now, they ask him, don't miss this, two things. What, when will these things happen? The, the things he was just talking about was the temple being destroyed. That happens in 70 AD. When will these things happen? And what will be the sign of your coming at the end of an age? At the end of the age? That's the second question. And I think in their minds they might be thinking, well, it's all going to happen at the same time. But obviously it didn't because the temple's gone, it got destroyed, and Jesus hasn't come back yet. So what they're recognizing here is, one, that Jesus is the Messiah, and they've already recognized this when Peter, speaking for the group, says, you're the, son of the, you're the Messiah, the Son of the living God, you're the chosen one. And Jesus says, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for this has not been revealed to you by flesh and blood, but my Father in heaven. So they know Jesus is the Messiah, whether the Pharisees like it or not. And he's also communicated to them that he must be given over and crucified. So they know that Jesus is going away, but they also know that he will return. He will return victorious to set things right. So they want to know when the destruction of the temple is going to happen and what will be the sign of his coming at the end of the age. Because his coming ends in age. It, re- I don't want to say it resets the world, but maybe it redefines it. One period of history is over and a new one begins. And here I said I wasn't a dispensationalist. They're sitting there saying, that's a dispensation. But what's interesting to me is the first thing he said. He doesn't, he doesn't go right into the signs. He doesn't say, well, look for these things. He answers and says, watch out, people are going to mislead you. He says, many are going to come in his name saying, I am the Christ. And those people coming and saying that they're the Christ will mislead many people. We don't talk a lot about this in church because we focus on Jesus Christ, the real Christ. But in the first and second century, there are a bunch of false messiahs and false Christ, revolutionaries. Okay, they all, none of them obviously did anything. They weren't really the Messiah. But people are going to come and get the Jews all riled up by claiming that they're the Messiah. And by the way, this is still happening. Remember David Koresh and the Branch Davidians, regardless of how you feel about the, the raid itself by the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms? You know, how reasonable it was, how smart or dumb it was. Uh, <laughs> David Koresh said he was the Christ, and he misled many people. So the first warning given to his own disciples, mind you, who will die out in a generation. I mean, we can take the warning with them too. But given to his own disciples is that people are going to come in his name. Don't be misled by them. These guys are going to mislead many people. So watch out. We talked a couple shows ago how people like to talk about the end times and have conferences and make predictions because it hasn't happened yet. And so there's, there's this idea, there's this indefinite amount of time that's going to happen and these uncertain things are going to happen. So people can come up with all kinds of conjecture. Be careful when people are coming up with that conjecture because it could be as bad as people claiming to be Christ himself. 
And with that, we'll end the Bible chapter review. We're going to go on to the inbox. Do you have a question about Christian theology and apologetics? If you do, you can write to SethDunn88 at gmail.com. This question comes from Jake in Fort Worth who went to Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary with the notorious SOP man himself, Pastor Kyle Walker. And uh, if I see Kyle at church on Sunday when he's camped out meeting the new folks after the sermon, I might stop by and say, hey, I know a guy who went to seminary with you and agrees with me that you're a squeaky clean dude. All right, so here's the question. If I had to pick three books of the Bible and I could only read those for the rest of my life, which three would it be? And I have to pick one from the Old Testament non-wisdom literature, one from the wisdom literature, and one from the New Testament. So what is the wisdom literature? That's Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Song of Solomon, and I think Ecclesiastes falls under the wisdom literature too. Those books are not really stories. They're poems about how things are. Although Song of Solomon uh, is a story, there's a love story in it. Some people think it's an allegory for uh, God and the church. That's what they thought in the Middle Ages. Um, I think some people still think that today because they're writing these Jesus is my boyfriend songs. Maybe if I was a teenager, I'd pick Song of Solomon. Like, hey, girls, let's read this. But uh, that's the wisdom literature. And then the rest of the Old Testament is the Torah, like the history and the prophets. And uh, then you got the New Testament. I won't go into the genres of the New Testament, but you know those 27 books. And I, I can only pick three. I, I, what is this? Is this like a desert? He says the rest of time. I don't know if I'll read the Bible in heaven because I'll be with Jesus. If I have a question, if I want to hear God's word, I'm like, hey, Jesus, what's the deal with this? But he did say the end of time. He didn't say if you're trapped on a desert island and you could only save three books of the Bible, what would you read? He says the end of time. Okay, we'll go with that. And I want to say this. I do not wait Scripture. The Bible says, the Apostle Paul says in 2 Timothy, I believe it's 3.16, that all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for training and reproof, correction. All Scripture is inspired. It's all the Word of God. We don't wait it. We don't put the red letters uh, over the black letters. We don't put what Jesus said over what Paul said or what Paul said over what Jesus said. We don't put the Old Testament over the New Testament. Guess what? Nobody is going to get this question and answer numbers. But numbers is just as inspired and just as important as the rest of us. God, rest of it, God has a lesson for us there. So the Old Testament non-wisdom literature book I would pick is Genesis because that's the explanation of where we came from. Not just humanity, 
but the Jews who would have been and you know I think the church is Israel but we see humanity Adam and Eve we see the fall we see God's purpose for man uh, we see God calling Abraham to make a great nation out of him we see God's grace that he had with Noah before Abraham so we talk about covenants and covenant theology within Genesis we have the Adamic covenant the Noahic covenant and the Abrahamic covenant do we have the law? No. That doesn't come till later. But we know even Gentiles, when they do what's right, it's because they have the, the law somehow written on their hearts. That's me paraphrasing Romans. So because we have the origin story there in Genesis of not only humanity but of God's people, I'm going to go with that one. Now, for wisdom literature, you think, well, you want to pick Psalms because it's got all these messianic Psalms that Jesus was referring to, that are prophesying himself and predicting himself. Yeah, but if I can't read the Gospels, I can't read the Psalms, right? So remember the limitations. I'm going to pick, I'm certainly not going to pick Ecclesiastes because I don't want to depress myself to death. I'm certainly not going to pick Ecclesiastes. I'm going to pick Proverbs because it's wisdom for everyday life. We should probably be re reading Proverbs every day, all of us. So that's the book of wisdom literature I'm going to pick. And then the New Testament book I'm going to pick is Romans, because it's the closest thing we have to a systematic theology. And somebody might see that and say, Seth, what about the gospel? I know what 1 Corinthians 15 says. First of all, he appeared to the apostles, and then to 500, and last of all, is the one untimely born, me. And if there's no resurrection, we're still dead in our sins, and we're most to be pitied. I know that Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary, in the line of David, in the city of Bethlehem, as prophesied. I know that he fled uh, the Herod to Egypt. Out of Egypt I called my son. I know that he came back to Israel. I know that he grew up in Nazareth, son of a carpenter. I know he wasn't accepted in his own, own hometown, because a prophet has no honor in his hometown. I know Jesus preached righteousness, the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the, uh, blessed are the mourners, for they will be comforted. The meek will inherit the kingdom of the earth. All right. I've already read it. I already know that Jesus died for my sins on the cross and rose again. I already know Peter proclaimed him Messiah. I'll never, ever forget that. So somebody might hear my choices and think, that's weird. He didn't pick any books that have the prophecy of Jesus or the story of the gospel. It's because I know the story of the gospel, and I'll know it for the rest of time. Do you know you can share the gospel without the Bible if you sneak into North Korea somehow? Or if you, you don't sneak in, if you just go there and they're like, you're not allowed to have a Bible. And you say, no problem, King John Hill. I ain't got a Bible. <laughs> I said, <laughs> Kim John Hill. It sounds like, like I said, hey, King John Hill, you may think you're in charge, but Jesus is the real king. Kim John Hill. Is that the guy who's in charge over there? I get them confused because their names are backwards. 
Because, like, his dad was something-something Kim. But he's Kim Jong-il. Anyway. You don't need to sneak a Bible into a communist country. You sneak Seth Dunn into a communist country or just let him go through the gates legally. He'll have the gospel. I hope you do, too. But I would pick Romans because, like I said, it's as close as we have to a systematic theology. And if some woman tried to be uh, the head of the, uh, of the church or a pastor... I just have to explain to her that Paul said she couldn't. She couldn't, even though I can't read Timothy anymore. I know what it says. Probably a lot of people would have picked John, the Book of John, instead. But I mean, I guess that's what I'd pick if I was in this absolutely horrible situation where I could only read three books of the Bible. By the way, I mean I don't have textual support for this. I don't think that's a world God would allow to be actualized where we don't have but three books of the Bible I know some people don't have the Bible like some Christian in North Korea somewhere doesn't have one but the church as a whole does so interesting question I'm not going to go on a rabbit trail about feasible worlds and possible worlds I guess I could. In a possible world where you could only have three books of the Bible to the end of time, which would you pick? So those would be the ones. Hey, me and you went to seminary, bud. We'd be uh, in high demand because we just know theology in our heads. And we could sit and argue with heretics who misremember the Bible. So thanks for that interesting question. I think that question is, even though it's kind of strange, it's, it's good in that it makes us think through how important all of the Bible is and then the different genres of Scripture and how they relate to one another. How we got here, where we're going, and how we can get there. Alright, so let's end the Bible chapter review. Let's move on to today's show title. We, we are st- all right, continuing or starting? I guess we're continuing our series Grave to Cradle. Grave to Cradle. Seniors. Alright, so how does the church retain... We're talking about customer relationship management. How does the church entertain and retain seniors? Now first, let's not talk about what Big Mick Church does nowadays. Let's talk about what the Bible says. The Bible gives us specific ways that old men are supposed to behave and that young men are supposed to behave. Young men are not supposed to sharply rebuke an older man. We see in Titus 2 that the older women are supposed to show the young women how to act, how to carry themselves. We see Paul uh, telling us about when to put a widow on the list. And like, what is this list? Well, we have to assume it's the list of people who need to be looked after and need some food and charity because widows in those days didn't have husbands to support them. Maybe they don't have sons to support them. So the church is going to support them because they're not able because they're old widows. They're too old to work. And they go on the list. And by the way, guys, the list still exists till this day. Sometimes you'll even see, uh, you probably won't see the list in your church bulletin, but a lot of times you'll have, who's your deacon on rotation that week? And that, that deacon is going down the list, and he's visiting and helping those people. Uh, generally elderly women, but it could be anybody who's indigent. 
And here's something that's pretty interesting if you think about it. Average lifespan then, average lifespan now. I think Paul said something like, uh, I'm trying to remember, I guess if I was a better podcaster, I'd have looked it up before I got in the car, that women are not supposed to be on the list before they're 60. After 60, that's so old that they better get on the list. I mean, there's, there's women working now at age 60 and supporting themselves because quality of life and span of life is different. The average age now, it could be 20 years longer than what the average age was then. I want you to think about this. Who do you know right now, right now, that would, would have been dead if we were living in that time? So right off the top of my, my head, I can think of in my family, my daughter Alexandria, who's 10, would be dead. And that just that's a devastating thing to think about. She is the light of my life. She just gives me so much joy. I wish you guys could know Alexandria. But you remember, if you're a longtime listener of this show, you remember this, that she had appendicitis and she had to go to Children's Health Care of Atlanta to take it out. It was ruptured and we took her to the Harbin Clinic in Cartersville, pediatrician. They said, send her home. Could be the flu or something. She got worse. My wife took her to the ER and they're like, we need to get her in surgery immediately. This is a burst dependence. The thing is ruptured and she could have had sepsis. So if your appendix ruptures, it doesn't automatically kill you, but it makes you really, really sick and it could poison your blood. So without that emergency surgery to remove her ruptured appendix, Alexandria might have died at five. And stuff like that just happened back then. They did not have Dr. Glasson in Children's Health Care of Atlanta to just open it up, take that appendix out, close it up, and you're home in two or three days. You just died. So you're talking about average lifespan. People were dying young who wouldn't die young now and 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 old people think about how old your grandparents lived speaking of old people who are sick y'all say a prayer for candace's husband candace from wisconsin who writes in sometimes her husband's pretty sick he's having some major surgical things going on i mean he's real sick i don't know how old they are but they're grandmoms and granddads pray for her you guys know candace you probably see her on my facebook page So my granddaddy Tommy lived to be, I want to say, 92 or 93. He was so old I couldn't keep up with it anymore. And my granddaddy Jim, I want to say he lived to be 94. Would granddaddy Jim have lived to be 94 if he was living in Paul's day? Absolutely not. Granddad had had really high cholesterol. He ate like a country boy from Alabama because that's what he was. And he had really high cholesterol. And, I mean, he had had some bypass surgeries. He would have probably, without those surgeries, had a heart attack and died maybe in his 60s or 70s if he made it that long. He also fought in a war. And he got to have a gun and grenades and tanks. And he didn't have to walk right up to somebody and hit them with a sword in the war. So, even war was rougher. Uh, My granddaddy Tommy died of squamous cell carcinoma. But he had skin cancers removed all throughout his life. Because they didn't have sunscreen when he was growing up. And he was fair-skinned like I was. If he didn't die of skin cancer 10 to 15 years earlier, he probably would have died of heart problems too because he too had a pacemaker. 
Hey, Scott Morgan, my FCA missionary friend in Cherokee County, if you're listening, you're dead too back then. How, Scott, you're 50. You're dead. You got a pacemaker. So think of all these people that you know who lived past 50 who'd be dead in your family and your friends, okay? So go to church and look at all the octogenarians and septuagenarians that you have. In the first century, you're not going to have that. Now, you might have one or two. You're certainly not going to have a seniors group taking a trip up to Apple Country. And I've said it a thousand times on this show. I like to go to LJ. I like to go to the orchard. I like to eat a fried pie. Why do why why the only the golden years class get to go? Huh? Why is it only the this the young at hearts group that gets to go? I, I like fried pies. I want me some of those apples. Hmm? Every time the church is scheduling the trip, you on the trip. Eating up all the apples. Getting up all of those fried pies. I like apples. I like fried pies. Anyway, sorry for that rabbit trail. Some people are rolling over with laughter. Some people are like, what the heck is he talking about? Some people are like, that movie's rated R. (sighs) You know, Chris Tucker got saved and he won't act in um, profane roles anymore. I don't know if you guys knew that. Do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? Anyway, what was I talking about? Old people are old people being dead. Okay. So how many people have this class at your uh, your church? The Gleaners Sunday School class. It's a bunch of old widowed women. They're in the Gleaners Sunday School class. So a lot of churches they will appoint a pastor to the golden years or seniors, whatever they want to call them. Now, by the way, this is different from the pastor who is appointed to pastoral care and visit the shut-ins. That's a common pastoral thing, too. So there's really two people to consider here. And one day, I'm going to be the old lonely guy if I outlive my family, or if at least I outlive my wife and my children move away. And get too busy for me. Who cherishes a visit from the pastoral care minister or whatever they want to call him. Pastor to shut-ins. But shouldn't the deacons be doing that? And shouldn't the... Well, why, is, why can't the senior pastor visit the old and infirm and inquire as to their spiritual uh, status, how they're doing health-wise and spirit-wise? Y'all remember Jordan Hall mean, bad old Jordan Hall who got disqualified from the ministry. You don't know what kind of pastor he was? I'm going to tell you. During COVID, he went to visit the elderly and the sick when other pastors wouldn't. And he got COVID. And Jordan, listen, he didn't die. You know, COVID didn't hardly kill anybody. But Jordan hadn't been a real healthy guy since I met him. Um... But that's the kind of man he was, even though he was senior pastor where he, he was the preacher. <laughs> How many senior pastors go visit those old people? No, what they do is they send your CSR. 
either the pastoral care pastor or they have the golden years pastor. He's the guy going with the young at heart group to LJ on the apple trip. Now that's really nice because that's a, it's a windy mountain road and the seniors, maybe they're nervous about driving there. So good, put them on a bus and they really appreciate it. I'm not saying it's not a good trip or not a good thing to do. I'm just saying that old guy pastor is ba- basically uh, the uh, the recreation director at a, a senior center. If, if you go to the old folks' home, they'll have somebody. All right, who's um, we're gonna have, we're doing bingo tonight? The person organizing bingo night, uh, the, poor, the person organizing the knitting night. The person who calls in the 17-year-old preacher to give a bad sermon to the old people. You want to hear a bad sermon, go to the old folks' home where they send the guys who's I've been called to the ministry yesterday. All right, you go preach at the old folks' home. Get you trained up. They won't remember if you mess up the sermon. So you have this group of people who didn't even exist by and large in biblical times who are looked after in a certain way by an age group pastor now what is their importance monetarily for the church these are the people that have money old people you have a 30 year mortgage right you get a mortgage when you're 30 by the time you're 60 you've paid off your 30 year mortgage uh, in your in your garage, you have a 1997 Crown Victoria with 8,700 miles that you only drive back and forth to the grocery store and the graveyard on Memorial Day. I mean, we've all seen these people, these old people who don't drive their car and they live in their paid-off house. And they're on Social Security, and they might have a pension, I don't need. I guess people are retiring and using 401ks now, but a lot of people are still alive who have a pension. They got a defined benefit plan, so they're they're on a fixed income and they're fixed pretty well. And these people are used to giving, and it's getting to where they can't come to church much anymore. And maybe their kids want to move them away, but oh boy, you better keep paying attention to them and keep them active in church because they're the ones keeping the lights on. And you better have something for them to do because they're at home all day and you're competing with that televangelist who says, for your pledge of $1,000, you're going to save a million people. Bless them. I don't even know who that was. Was it Joyce Meyer? Was it Ken Copeland? Was it Johnny Hunt? I don't know. That was a lazy impression of a televangelist. I don't make this stuff up. Maybe it's Jensen Franklin that they're watching. He's an easy one to do. And they're watching him out of Gainesville and they don't know what a crazy Pentecostal guy he is and he's send me your money and we'll get the message of the gospel everywhere on TBN to people who've already heard it and seen it twisted All right, so you're competing with that old people are the most important demographic for the modern McChurch you guys think about well no it's children because they're the next generation that's what they're spending a lot of time and money on Guys, that's where they spend their money. Where do you think they get it? Get it from old people. And I'm going to tell you this. The church management class is terrified right now. Because in 10 years, 
Some like 70% of the church money will be dried up and dead. I will never forget the last time I ever listened to a sermon from Don Hathaway, former president of the Georgia Baptist Convention, former pastor of Tabernacle Baptist Church where I used to be a member. Even when my wife and I stopped going to Tabernacle, I would still listen to Don's sermons because he went to the greatest seminary ever, New Orleans Baptist Theological, Theological Seminary, way better than Southwestern. And he would preach sermons from the Bible, book by book. And one day, I think through the Georgia Baptist Convention, though I'm not certain, they brought in this group of financial planners who were going to... A motorcycle guy almost killed himself, like weaving in and out of lanes. They brought in this group of financial planners, and I'm sorry I told this story before years ago. I'm telling it again. I'm on 1,400 episodes, y'all. There's new people. There's new people. Some people, they, didn't, they don't even know the new people don't even know I'm an Alabama fan. It's almost time for Brother William from Mississippi to start giving, sending his Alabama picks in again. All right? But I'm listening to Don in the car on the way to work. I would listen to him on Friday. I listened to Johnny Hunt on Tuesday. Michael Yusuf on Monday. Wednesday, I think I'd listen to the Reasonable Faith podcast. Thursday, I think I listened to Bryant Wright. And Friday, I listened to Don Hathaway. And the only one of those people I would even think about listening to anymore is Wednesday, William Lane Craig. Even the problems that he has. But he, you know, he's not some Southern Baptist mega preacher. Anyway, Bryant Wright doesn't preach anymore. He retired. They had brought in this group of financial planners, and they were going to give you, church member, a free assessment of your financial situation. What a nice gift. It's like when Olin Mills comes in, and they're going to do free pictures. You're going to get one free 8x10. Oh, by the way, don't you feel like you should buy this picture package of $90 worth of pictures? Sorry, Olin Mills. I have a, I have a, I have a cell phone camera. I remember when they were taking pictures from the for the directory at Tabernacle when I was first married. Laura and I went to get our picture taken. I'm like, now you listen to me and you listen good. You are getting your one free picture, and we're not spending one more dime. I didn't even have kids. What do I want a picture of me for? Here's a picture of us. We ain't got kids yet. Anyway. So these people were in. And what they're really trying to do is say, well, you know, you know you need to make a will. We'll help you do that at a discount. And Don Hathaway got up in the pulpit. I forget what he was preaching on. And he just mentioned, he just mentioned that don't forget to see the financial planning people who are in. And he goes, they need to help you make a will. And, you know, you need to leave some to the church. Because your grandchildren are just going to waste it. That's what he said. You better leave it to the church. Because if you leave it to your grandkids, they're going to waste it. And I was just like, you greedy snake. You know those old people are going to die. And you know they're going to stop giving their money because they're dead. There's not that their money is going to go away. If an old guy dies with $500,000, it doesn't just disappear. 
his income stream from Social Security disappears, so he's not giving 10% of that anymore. Well, how are you going to get that back? Well, we're going to get him to leave something for the church. You know who that old man his whole life he's been working to say, I want to leave something to my kids. When my granddaddy Tommy died and my grandma Maggie died, they left me enough money for the down payment of my house. They grew up dirt poor. My granddaddy Tommy said they were so poor they didn't live. They just existed. I'll never forget him saying that. I'm about to take my kid to Longhorn. You know? My granddaddy Tommy was... Uh, sort of half an orphan. His granddad was killed. He was like a, a deputized sheriff's deputy hunting a guy and he got killed. And my granddad grew up with an alcoholic stepfather who was so bad and so abusive that one of my granddad's half-brothers eventually shot and killed him. And my granddad walked from Pikeville to Chattanooga to start a better life. That's how poor he was. My granddaddy Jim was almost as poor. And when granddaddy Jim died, he left my aunt his house. And now I think her house is paid off. And she's, she, she's got money for retirement. She was a single mom for a long time. My uncle Chuck, who left her, he just... Uh, as the old people like to say, wasn't no count. I think he came around at the end of his life and had better uh, relationships with his kids. In fact, I think I had an episode about that when I went to his funeral. But, oh man, she had a rough life. But she had an inheritance from Granddaddy Jim. And me and my brother got an inheritance from Granddaddy Tommy. And we didn't waste it. It's the equity in my house. And Lord knows I need a big house. And to hear Don Hathaway, knowing what the Bible says about storing up an inheritance for your kids, how that's a good thing. That's in the wisdom literature. Look it up. And he's just off the cuff sitting there telling those nervous old people who are like, and you're, well, this generation's going to hell in a handbasket. All they do is play the video games and wear the wrap clothes. Manipulating those old people. Oh man, he's like that's one of those times like he's lucky I wasn't in the room. Because I mean, that would have been you've heard of evangelism explosion, that'd be autism explosion. How dare you? Straight up great Greta Thurnberg. How dare you? How dare you? And that was the last time I ever listened to that man. Manipulating those old people. So you better believe they want their money and they're going to maintain relationships and activities to keep them connected to the church. Through visitation and activities and getting them an old people Sunday school class. And guys, have you ever noticed that nobody wants to teach the old people Sunday school class at church? Like, finding the 30-year-olds, everybody will do that. 20-year-olds, yeah, I will do that. Find somebody who wants to, to teach the old people Sunday school class. Nobody wants to do it. Probably because somebody's sick every week. You, you're taking a casserole somewhere every day. Now, bear with me. I'm not belittling the necessity of ministry to the old people. We talked about that it's biblical and the list. What I'm telling you is that seemed to be the deacons in the whole church, not some specialized CSR pastor who's preserving the payers. Those are high-profit customers. 
When I went to Woodstock, First Baptist Woodstock, that's where I went after I left Tabernacle. Of course, I would have never joined that church had I known Johnny Hunt had went to second base on another man's wife and didn't resign. Because <sighs> he's a deceptive snake. They had the new members class. And we went to the new members class and all the age group pastors were there. And they they gave you the spiel of this is how the church operates and we we expect you to give us 10% of your money. Uh, blah, 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 blah. And here's the, introduced to the age group pastors. And it was real funny. The guys who were to, hang, who were to look after the 20 and 30 year olds, they, they wore jeans and dressed like Andy Stanley. The guy who was the pastor to old people was like a chubby guy in a suit who looked like every old pastor you've ever seen. And, you know, I was old school, if you will. I have the body of a 40-year-old and the uh, attitude of an 80-year-old. Get off my lawn. Uh, I think his name was Ken. I just want to say his name was Ken. And I remember he was wearing a suit. And I'm like... The old guys wearing a suit because the old people wear suits, and the young guys are dressed up because the young people are dressed up. I was wearing—I don't—I wasn't wearing a suit, but I was wearing a blazer. And I was—I said, "How do we get people to dress like us, man?" Just kind of joking around, because I knew he was dressed that way on purpose to appeal to the people who dress like me, who are all old. And he's like—and he got offended. He was just let them come as they are. I'm like, oh, sorry, dude. I'm just joking. Come, come as they are. Yeah, you're trying to look like old people. And he was kind of old. So I want you to pay attention to the ministers at your church. Are they CSRs who are maintaining relationships or are they really pastoring those old people? And you know what the way to tell? If that guy in the pulpit preaching those vision casting sermons, if he knows the old people, if he's been to their house, that's how you know. Otherwise, it's that he's the salesman model. You keep the people sold, and the other people keep them there. Grave to cradle. And I started with the grave, because I'm an accountant, and it's all about that money. It's all about that green in Big Eva McChurch. Thanks for listening to the Christian Commute. Lord willing, I'll be back with you again tomorrow. No, I'll say that. I make the same mistake every week. Lord willing, I'll be back with you again Tuesday because I'm working from home on Monday. So enjoy these two shows if I upload them correct. Don't know when I'll do it. My son has a birthday party tomorrow, so I'll be pretty busy. I got four days. Do you think I can handle it? Thanks for listening, guys. I really appreciate your listenership. I really appreciate it when you send in questions. You guys who've never sent in questions before, Thank you for writing in. Somebody from Kentucky wrote in and said he calls Coke, Coke, not Pop. Whatever. I believe it when I see it. Uh, How about you come up with a question? But thanks for your listenership. Uh, You can ask me what my favorite kind of Coke is. Uh, If you could only have three books of the Bible, Seth, and then you had to pick one Coke product, what would it be? It would be Gatorade. Thanks for listening to the Christian community. Oh, sorry, Powerade. Don't tell my dad. Quaker bought Gatorade and Pepsi bought Quaker and my dad worked for Quaker. So don't tell him about that little faux pas. He'll have my hide. Thanks for listening to the Christian Commute. Lord willing, I'll be back with you again tomorrow. 
As always, God bless. And as always, remember, Christianity is not about getting saved. It's about being saved.